0: Thank you, Sharon. That was beautiful, as always. Good morning and welcome, everyone, to First Church this morning. We're glad to have you here, and we're glad to have you listening to us on the radio. I do have a few announcements to start off the day. Um, the Red Rose on the altar is in honor of Bill and Edith Henshins, who will celebrate their 54th um, anniversary on May 4th, and we wish them a very um, happy anniversary. The two white roses on the altar as well are in honor of Leah and Elena Zumbrogel, who will be dedicated during the service today. Cookbooks have arrived, and if you've pre-ordered from a student, they will deliver them to you. And if you pre-ordered from the office, you can pick it up there, or next Sunday there will be a table in the back of the sanctuary. There are still plenty available, so if you didn't reserve a copy, you may still come and buy as many as you would like. Mother, daughter, and friend evening is next Sunday. The evening is free this year, and please see the bulletin for a list of items that you can donate for the event. Next Sunday and the following Sunday is the Mother's Day open house in the nursery through third grade Sunday school classes. So just want to mark that on your calendar so uh, you can come for their open houses. Today is the fundraiser luncheon for Sharon and Rob Chaney's daughter and son-in-law Erica and Nick. Um, the bell choir and the choir members came in mass last evening and spent a few hours here preparing food. So we hope you will all join us. Um, we will be serving from 11 to 1:30. will also be available. See the back of your bulletin for more for more details. The lunch is free, and all donations will support the family. With that, uh, if you would like to stand and join me for the call to worship. <coughs> Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits and in his word I put my hope.
1: I wait for the Lord
0: more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption.
1: He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins.
0: Now if you'll all sing along with how deep is the Father's love for us, as printed in your bulletin.
2: You may be seated I this time I want to invite uh, the family the Zimbrogle family forward for our dedication today as they're coming forward I just want to uh, just just make a note of, of how special this is uh, I know we've had infant baptisms before and today with the child dedication. Um, anytime we celebrate children, anytime we recognize the importance of family, um, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing in my mind. I think this is such a great occasion and, and I'm so excited to be here today. Um, we had, uh, when Josephine was born, uh, obviously that was before we came here to this church. We had her dedicated as well. And we just, I just know for, for me, this is just such a special thing to celebrate family, to celebrate children, and to, uh, and to see the commitment that they're making to raise their children in the Lord. So hear these words from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children into his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Just as Jesus welcomed children and did not turn them away, we also welcome children into the life of the church and desire to nurture them in the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9 gives us a picture of what that looks like both within the community of the church and within the home as well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord our God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This passage reminds us of the importance of raising our children in the Lord, to know, to love Him, to serve Him, and to grow in their faith. And so hearing these, these scripture passages and, and knowing the importance of what we're doing here today, Dustin and Christina, do you desire to dedicate your children to the Lord and promise to raise them to know, love, and serve Him? We do. Wonderful. And as as with uh when we do infant baptisms we know that they the commitment that they they are making today um, it, they're not able to make the commitment of faith that you are able to so as your as parents you're you're committing to raise them in the Lord to instruct them in the Lord so that when the day comes when they're old enough to understand and old enough to make that decision for themselves uh they're able to do that and so uh with that in mind we want to ask you questions about your faith and hear hear the witness that that uh, has for us today And so I encourage you to answer these questions. Do you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord?
1: We
2: do. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life? We
1: do.
2: And do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciples, trusting his promises, obeying his word, honoring his church, and showing his love as long as you live?
1: We do.
2: And will you devote yourselves to the church's teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer?
1: We will, with God's help.
2: Praise God. Well, let's, as a church, as a community of faith, let's, by word and example, with the help of the Christian community, in the truth of God's word, and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, do you promise to pray for them and to teach them to pray? Do you promise to nurture them within the body of believers, the citizens of Christ's kingdom?
1: We do, with God's help,
2: Awesome. And as the, the commitment that they're making as parents today, we as a church are also making a commitment to them that we would help them in this process, that we would help them to grow, uh, to, to nurture these children in the faith. And so, uh, church, I, I challenge you with this as well. And if you are willing to, to come alongside them and help them to raise their children in the faith, we encourage you by responding with the portion typed in your bulletin. Brothers and sisters, as we receive Leah and Elena into Christ Church, I charge you to nurture and and love them, and to assist them to be Christ's faithful disciples. With joy and thanksgiving, we now welcome you into Christ's church. We promise to, Christ, we promise to love, encourage, and, and support you, and to help you know and follow Christ. So, Leah, I dedicate you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Elena, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and care for you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Now let's pray once again for these children and their parents. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the free gift of salvation that is made available through his death and resurrection. We pray for Leah and Elena. Bless and strengthen them daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to them the riches of your love, deepen their faith, keep them from the power of evil, and enable them to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes. May they grow to know, love, and serve you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And look with kindness on Dustin and Christina. Let them always rejoice in the gifts you have given them. Grant them the presence of your Holy Spirit, and may they bring up Leah and Elena to know you, love you, and serve you and their neighbor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We have some gifts for you. Uh, Of course, we have some certificates here, certificates of dedication for each one of them, as well as a Bible for each one of them. We pray that they'll grow to know and and read these and you can read them together as you grow in your faith together as a family. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, As they're finding, here, you got your hands full. Let me take that. (laughs) Um, As they're finding their way back to their seats, uh, we invite children to come forward uh, for children's chat and for you to take a moment to greet your neighbor. Good morning, girls and
3: boys. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Kayla and Lena, come over this way. Come on, little closer, little closer. There we go. All right. So how are you guys this morning? Good. What did you think of all that rain? Not so good. Not so good. It was awesome rain. It was awesome rain. The farmers really needed that rain. Now, did that rain just come straight down, or did it get windy sometimes? It got windy sometimes? Hmm. Windy like that? Like that? That kind of wind? Huh? Did it get windy? Yeah. Now, when you're outside, can you see that wind? No. How do we know it's there? How do we know that wind is there? We can feel it. We can feel it. <laughs> I won't do it again. Okay. So we can feel the wind. Okay? You can feel that, right? Yeah, just like you could feel whenever I blew out of the air can. We could feel it. Okay? We can feel it blowing against our face, and we can feel it blowing through our hair. And we know we can't see the wind, but we know it's there because we can feel it. Okay. Now, can we hear it? No. no. Well, can you hear the wind? Yes, yes. How do you hear the wind? You
1: listen carefully, and it has to be
3: silent. It has to be silent. You got to listen carefully.
1: Or you, if I it's really know. loud, and you step outside, and you can hear it blowing
3: really. We can hear it blowing through the branches or on the trees. Running. Yep, okay, so if it's blowing, then we hear it. We can hear it. If it's really windy, you hear it up against the house, and you can hear it kind of coming through the window, blowing up against the windows a little bit. Okay, so I have a question. Can we see the wind?
1: Yes.
3: No, No. we can't see the wind. How many of you have ever seen God? Can we see God? No. No, but how do we know he's there? Because he's in our hearts very good Olivia. The Bible says that no one has seen God well, if we We have to know that he is there and it tells us in second Peter We cannot see God, but we can see men doing things that God's Holy Spirit has moved them to do And we know that God is there because we can feel his presence The Bible says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And it also says we can't see God, but we know he is there because we can feel his presence in our lives. Okay? And how do we hear about God? How do we hear God? In the Bible. In the Bible. We can hear God by listening to the Bible. In the Bible, in Revelation, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any of my man, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So we can't see God, but we know he's there because he speaks to our hearts and God loves each one of us. OK, so even though we can't see him, just like we can't see the wind, we know that God is there. OK, let's say a quick prayer. Lord, We can't see you, but we know you are there because we can see you moving. We can feel your presence and we can hear you speak to our hearts. Please bless all these children here today. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.
2: In the last week, killed in Nangarhar Province in Afghanistan, Sergeant Joshua P. Rogers, 22, from Bloomington, Illinois, Sergeant Cameron H. Thomas, 23, from Kettering, Ohio. Also killed yesterday in Mosul, a soldier whose name has not yet been released. Thank you, Jay. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, celebrate today the gift of life, we're also uh, reminded of, of its brevity at times and the sacrifice that others make on our behalf. And so we pray, Lord, that you would uh, be with uh, the Zimbrogel family. I pray that as, as Lee and Elena grow, they would grow to know and love you. And for all of the children in this church, Lord, that they would uh, be a part of, of your spirit moving in this community, in this church, that you would you instill in their hearts a love for you and a knowledge of you. Uh, And Lord, we also uh, pray that you would um, be with these families of these soldiers and those who are experiencing hardship and difficulty at this time in whatever form it may take. Uh, We acknowledge that, uh, Lord, that you are with them. You are with us as we go through hardship. You promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And so I pray, Lord, that that would be true for For each one of the people on our list, as well as those, uh, Lord, who may not be listed here, but are going through, through difficult times, uh, I pray that you would, uh, that you would sustain them, that you would bring them through whatever they're facing, and ultimately that, that, that they would be able to turn and look to you for the help, for the support, and, and for the peace that they need. Because, Lord, our hope is ultimately in you and in your son, Jesus Christ. And he taught us to pray saying, Our Father, Uh, Those helping with our offering, please come forward at this time. Uh, Our offering today goes to support the Building Maintenance Fund here at First Church. And the choir will be singing Circle of Love, a very appropriate song given not just our scripture text for today, but also uh, the the luncheon that will be following the service.
3: you would please remain standing for our scripture reading this morning it comes from 1st John chapter 4 verses 7 through 21 dear friends let us love one another for love comes from God everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God whoever does not love God does not whoever does not love does not know God because God is love God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who gives God anyone who loves God must also love Their brother and sister. If you would join us in our hymn number 66, To God Be the Glory, and we will be singing the first verse only.
2: be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, as we continue to study your word, as we continue to look at, at the implications and the impact that, that your son Jesus Christ's death and resurrection has on our lives, I pray that you would give us wisdom, help us to set distractions aside and focus our attention on you. May you give me words to speak, and may you open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Last week we talked about uh, the first effect that the resurrection has on our lives, and that we, we can move from works to grace, that we no longer have to try to earn our salvation, we no longer feel like we have to earn God's love, but but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God offers us his love. God offers us his grace, his, his acceptance, his forgiveness, not by what we have done, but by what we, he has done for us. And so we no longer have to try to earn our way into God's family. Uh, he, he freely and willingly accepts us based on what Christ has done on the cross and that the grave is empty now. And so we're going to continue on to that, that thought, continue to build on that idea of, of the changes that take place in our lives. And today we're going to talk about how we can change from fear to love. That we no longer have to, to live lives, uh, out of fear of God or fear of others, but we can live lives that are based in the love that God has for us and that He demonstrated for us on the cross. It's interesting. Fear is such a, a motivating factor in our lives, isn't it? Whether we really acknowledge it or not, fear drives a lot of, of what we do. We make a lot of decisions based on it whether they're legitimate fears right or or sometimes fears that are unbased or un, unnecessary but fear does a lot to motivate us to to drive us to make certain decisions and if we're not careful we can let our fears control our entire lives right there's people that have um you know in a sense kind of kind of lost control because they're so overcome and consumed by by fear uh, whether it's whether it's said fear of fear of Whatever. There's a lot of there's a lot of fears out there and we'll get to, to a couple examples in just a moment. But but as a side note, before I share those, uh, there is such a thing as healthy fear, I believe. Right. There is a there is a good fear out there. Right. Um, I always said that I wish Josephine had a little bit more fear in her. You know, she's such so young and, and she has no fear whatsoever when it comes to, you know, giant slides and swings and all these sorts of things. You know, as a parent, I'm looking at her thinking like, OK, are you sure you want to do this? Like I remember Allie telling a story last summer, Josephine was just about two and, and they were at her uncle's cabin. And there's this little, like, swimming pond. You've probably seen these with a little sandy beach. And then they got slides and swings and stuff that go out into the water. And Josephine was playing out there with her cousins. And, you know, of course, Allie and Allie's mom were out there too. And there's this slide that just went right up out of the water and probably 15 feet in the air. And, and, and Josie's older cousins went down the slide and Josie saw him. She goes, I want to do that too. And just immediately started going up the slide up this ladder as a two, you know, not even two year old. And, and Allie just starts following behind her thinking, are we sure we're going to do this? But Josie never even gave it a thought. She just went right up the slide, uh, right up the ladder and then right down the slide into the water without even thinking about it. You know, I was on there once before and I thought like, what am I doing when I get to the top? But she had no thoughts of that whatsoever. So there is such a thing as like healthy fear that helps, you know, protect us and keep us from danger. Uh, but a lot of times the fears that we have, um, aren't healthy for us. They can, they can distract us. They can, they can turn us away from what God really intends in our lives. Uh, last, well actually I guess it was two years ago now in 2015, Chapman University in California, did a study about uh, the common fears that we as Americans have, um, and this this study was was reported in Time magazine, and and some of the top ten things that are listed here. Number one was corruption of government officials, cyber terrorism, uh, tracking of personal information, uh, terrorist attacks. Uh, some pretty big big fears here. You know, those are the top top few. You know, I, I remember lists like this when I was younger, and it was all like heights and snakes and, and things like that and bugs. I think our fears have evolved a little bit over the last 20 years or so. Uh, but but one thing is common, that these fears, they often uh, drive us, they, they, tr- they help us to make um, decisions based on those fears. And sometimes these fears are founded, and sometimes they're not. But I think one fear that kind of underlines a lot, underlies a lot of what this study shows, and a lot of what drives us in our personal lives, is a fear of the unknown, the uncertainty that comes with life, the uncertainty of, of uh, you know, whether it's your your personal financial future, whether it's a job, whether it's relationships, the fear of the future, the fear of the unknown. We're not sure what's going to happen, and so that that scares us a little bit. And that can even extend beyond this life as well, the fear of the unknown in terms of where we'll spend eternity. Are we really in right standing before God? Does God really accept us or love us? Or are we living in fear of what may come? The Bible talks a lot, especially in the Old Testament, about fear of God. And it talks about it in a good way. Um, It's usually a good thing, like in Proverbs 1, uh, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so if we're talking about how fears You know, we want to move beyond fear and that fears can sometimes drive us to live lives in a way that we don't, that God doesn't intend. How is fear of God a good thing? If we think of fearing God in the same way that we, in the same sense that we talk about the other fears that we listed, we're missing the point. If we fear God in the same way that we fear terrorist attacks or fear, you know, our personal information being stolen or even fear of heights. It will never motivate us to love Him or instill in us a desire to be in a relationship with Him. And so when the Bible talks about the fear of God, it doesn't mean like being afraid of Him. It means having a sense of respect or a sense of awe or reverence toward who God is. We fear Him in the sense that we are in absolute and utter awe of who He is, what He has done, and what He's capable of doing. He is the creator of the universe. And everything is sustained by his power. He's the author and giver of life, and he keeps the planets and stars in motion. Without him, nothing would even exist. And if we're truly able to wrap our minds around that, if we're truly able to understand who God is and what he has done for us and what he's capable of doing, it would affect our very lives. It would drive us to give him the respect and honor we deserve. We would be in fear of him, but we would not be afraid of him. Does that make sense? We would have an awe and respect and reverence for who God is, but we wouldn't have to fear or be afraid of Him in that sense. If God is love, as this passage from 1 John teaches us in verses 8 and 16, then we should have nothing to be afraid of. Far from it. In fact, if God is love, it changes how we relate to Him and to others. We no longer have to be driven by our fears. Instead, the love of God demonstrated for us through Christ's death and resurrection enables us to live differently. We no longer have to be motivated by our fear of punishment. We no longer have to be motivated by our fear of whether God will accept us or not. But we can live out of love instead. And that's what this passage from 1 John chapter 4 is teaching us. That God is love and that should motivate us then to live out of love instead of fear. And, the, and there's several motivating factors that are listed here in the first part of this passage. First of all, as I've already mentioned, John teaches us that God is love. It's a statement primarily about his character and not his actions. In other words, it doesn't, John's not saying that God is loving or that God sometimes is loving toward his people, but that God is love. It's a very part of who he is. It's a part of his very nature. It's a part of his characteristic uh, part of his personality. So so when we say that God is love, it's, about, it's describing the very core of his being. It changes, excuse me, it flows from his character. His actions flow from his character and not the other way around. In other words, what he does is loving because of who he is. He's not loving because of what he does. Right? We often describe someone as a loving person based on their actions. And that may be true, but... But that actions are only evidence. It's, only the, it's the outpouring of the love that is within them. And, and so with God, it's the same way. His actions toward us are loving, that's for sure. We'll get to that in a moment. But it's out of his very nature. It's the very core of who he is. He is a loving God. He is love itself. And so when we say that, we talk about uh, how all love, true self-sacrificing love, comes from God. It finds its origin in the very being of God. So when we are loving others, when we show people God's love, the same kind of love that He showed us, that comes from our relationship with God. It's, it's, it starts with Him and flows to us. And when we say that God is love, it means that everything that God does, He does out of His love. That's a pretty big statement too, if you think about it. It means that when God judges, He judges out of His love. When God disciplines us, He disciplines us out of His love. When He answers our prayers, He answers our prayers out of His love for us. You see, love is the motivating factor. It's what, it's what everything else flows from when we talk about God and what he ha- and how He has worked in this world. And I think an example is, is how parents relate to their children.? Right? From a child's perspective, When we put someone in time out or when we make certain decisions that they don't like, they may say it's not a very loving thing. From their perspective, it may not seem so. But anybody out there who's a parent knows that we make decisions, we do things based on our love for our children. We choose to do things that may not be popular, that may not be uh, well-received, but they're loving. It's, it's a loving thing to discipline your child when they are not doing what they're supposed to do. It's a loving thing to lavish gifts on your children when you want to spoil them a little bit, right? That's, there's nothing wrong with it. All of that comes out of our love for our children. How much more then will God, our loving Father, show us and deal with us out of his love? I, while we are imperfect, while we don't always do what we're supposed to do as parents, right? we often fall short. If we're honest with ourselves, none of us are perfect. God is. He is perfect. He's that perfect, loving Father who will always do everything based out of His nature, His loving character. And so we see here that God is love, but even more than that, out of that love, God shows it to us through Jesus Christ. He put His love on display. He put His love in action through sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to us. And I think that's an important thing to note that, that love is a primary primary characteristic of who God is, but it's also we also see that on display. We also see it in action through what Christ has done for us. Love is primarily about who God is, not about what he does, but his actions prove his character. His actions are the, the, the overflow of his character. His actions are what show us his loving nature. We know that God is love not based on some abstract theological reflection, but on the reality of his actions toward us through Christ. His love toward us was undeserved and unprovoked. Uh, I already mentioned our discussion last week was all about grace and how we can't do anything to earn God's love or God's favor, but yet he gives it to us freely through Christ. This, this, This idea is reiterated in this passage in verse 10. John says, this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us, right? It starts with him. It starts with what he's done for us in our lives. Romans 5, 8. I know I shared this last week, but it's a it's a passage that is worth repeating. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love toward us when we didn't deserve it. He gave us his love First. We didn't have to love Him in order to earn His love. He loved us first, and then we simply respond to that. Verse 19 here in 1 John 4 says that we love because He first loved us. It starts with Him and His work in our lives. And so when we talk about love, what do we mean by that? We often associate love in our culture and our society with a feeling, right? Just this feeling of love. We feel certain emotions toward other people. The problem with that is emotions are a little fleeting, aren't they? Right, They can come and go day to day. You may not always feel like you love someone. Uh, but when the Bible talks about love, when we talk about love in the sense of God's love toward us, it's 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 not feeling primarily. That may be part of it, but that's not what the love that the Bible describes is all about. The love that the Bible talks about is an action. It's a choice. It's choosing to love someone, even if you don't feel like it all the time, right? And that's so important because day to day, our emotions are going to change. We may not feel like loving our spouse or loving our children. But if we understand love, not primarily as a feeling, but as a choice, as an action, then we can choose to love someone, even if we're not feeling it, right? And that's so important. It's self. So love is a self-sacrifice. It's seeking other, another's good at one's own cost. In other words, it's about wanting and desiring and working towards someone else's for someone else's benefit, even if it costs us something. And we see that perfectly exemplified in Jesus Christ and His life and His death and His resurrection, right? He didn't have to go to the cross on our behalf. We had done nothing to deserve it. And yet His love was so great for us that He died on the cross. He gave up His life so that we could be accepted into God's family. That's self-sacrifice. That's looking after another's good at our own cost. And so God sent His Son in the world that we might live through Him to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins, it says here in First John. Atonement, Jesus' death and His resurrection, what, the price that He paid for our sins, not the incarnation, is how we can truly and supremely know God's love for us. Right? We wouldn't have Christmas without Easter. Christ coming in the flesh, right? Him living on this earth was was a revelation of God's character and His love for us. But it wouldn't have meant anything without His death and His resurrection. Without Easter, Christmas wouldn't be that important. Without Easter, our faith does not make sense. But it's because of what He's done for us that everything else, that's the foundation that everything else is built on. And so Jesus was both the revelation of God's love and the very essence of love itself. It both put God's love on display for us to see, and it showed us what love really looks like. That self-sacrificing, uh, others seeking after the other's good kind of love. That's what that's what we see in Jesus Christ himself. And it was put on display uh, for us through his life and through his death and resurrection. John, when he opens his letter here in, in the very first verses of this letter, 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4, it talks about these 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 words that describe how they witnessed that They were able to actually see and experience God's love for themselves. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, Which is with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son Jesus Christ, and we write this to make our joy complete. I love the description there because it's talking about experiencing Christ in their lives. What they have seen and heard and felt and touched and all these things, these words that describe that experience. And so it's through Jesus Christ that we not only see God's love on display, but we experience it for ourselves. And so God is love. It's a part of his very nature. God shows us his love through Christ. And finally, God's love is complete in us. It's made perfect. It's made mature in us. That word there talks about something that's brought to its intended goal or purpose. God's love has no real effect in our lives until we allow it to be manifest in our relationships with others. Let me say that again. Our God's love has no real effect in our own lives until we allow that love to then overflow, to be made made known, made real in our relationship with others. If we know God and have a relationship with Him, then we can't help but show that same kind of love to other people in our lives. Love must flourish in our lives because it's, because of its divine origin. God is love. God has shown us his love in Christ. And so if we have a relationship with him, it's gonna be a part of our relationship with others then as well. Love is essential to God's character and his personality. Therefore, we can't, we can't separate love from God. We can't say, well, well, I I love God. I, I know him, but I'm not really loving, right? That just doesn't make sense because if God is love, then it's going to be a part of our own lives as well. We can't separate the love of God from God himself because it's a, part of, it's a very part of who he is. When asked about the greatest commandment, Jesus gave two answers. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. See that in Matthew chapter 22. Everything, all the law and the prophets, all of God's word hangs on those two things. They cannot be separated. And so if we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we're going to have to love our neighbors as ourselves. You can't have one without the other. And so we must show that kind of love that God has shown us to everyone we meet. Our love is a reflection. It's a response to the love He's shown us. I already mentioned verse 18. We love because He first loved us. We have an obligation to love others, it says in verse 11. See, Jesus gave that command to his disciples himself when he was before, before his death and resurrection. In John chapter 13 verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's impossible to receive God's love, to come into a relationship with him without showing that same love to others. And so the basis for this command to love one another is in the example of God himself. It's not based solely on this abstract truth that God is love, but in the concrete fact that God showed us His love by sending His Son. If we are truly His children, we must follow His example and love people with that same self-sacrificing kind of love that He showed us. John goes on to say that that it's possible through the Spirit living in us. God sends the Holy Spirit to enable us to live this way. Romans 5.5, Paul writes, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, he, who has been given to us. See, just as the Holy Spirit enables us to put our faith in Jesus, right? We can't confess to know him. We can't truly know him apart from the Spirit's work in our lives. He also enables us to live as he did. Galatians 5 describes the fruits of the Spirit, and love is the first one of those fruits that's listed. He produces in our lives. It's the Spirit working in us to help us to grow and to, to love other people as well as love God. And if you want to see what love looks like in action, we can look to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. I encourage you to, to read that on your own. I know uh, when Tori preached a couple months ago, she had you fill out. Uh, she left blanks in there to fill in your own name to kind of give us a picture of what love should look like in our lives. And what a great example that was. But we see in that chapter what love looks like played out, lived out in everyday life. And so love for God and for others, it's not a it's not a condition or prerequisite of our salvation. It's the evidence of genuine faith. In other words, we don't God doesn't base his love for us on our love for him or for others. But if we truly Love, if we, if God has, has poured out His love in our lives, if we've truly been impacted and changed by what He's done for us, then we're gonna love others. It's gonna be a natural consequence of our relationship with Him. And so we, we love others, and our love, our love for Him and our love for others is evidence of genuine faith in our lives. And the Holy Spirit works in our lives to make us more like Jesus says that our confidence and hope lies not in ourselves, but in the Holy Spirit making us more like Him. God's love working in us to love in others transforms us more into His image. That's how His love is completed in us, is when we become more and more like Him. So John closes this passage Talking about two tests that we can, we can put ourselves through to know whether or not God's love is in us and whether or not we, we truly have experienced God's love for ourselves. First of all, the question is, do we still live in fear? I started off today talking about the fears that sometimes drive us and motivate us. Do we still live in fear or we have allowed God's love to cast that out? See, because perfect love casts out fear. Fear of punishment has no place in the lives of believers who have experienced God's forgiveness. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, we don't have to fear punishment. We don't have to fear God's wrath or God's judgment if we are truly in him because his love has cast that out. Christ has already taken that punishment upon himself, so we don't have anything to worry about. And so are we still living in fear? Are we still allowing that to drive our lives? That's a test of whether God's love is truly in us. You see, we cannot simultaneously approach God in love and hide from Him in fear. It just doesn't work. If we have known and experienced God's love, we'll be able to approach Him with that sort of boldness and we will no longer have to cower in fear of punishment. And so the first test is whether or not we're still living in fear. And the second is whether or not we're loving others. We cannot claim to love God and hate our neighbor at the same time. If we aren't loving, then the love of God must not be in us at all. We cannot avoid the easier thing, which is loving our visible neighbor, and still do the harder thing, loving an invisible God who we have not seen. Mark 6 talks about this story where Jesus heals this this paralytic, uh, this man who who is lowered down through the roof by his friends, right? And the first thing Jesus says to them is, your sins are forgiven. And people like... Begin to laugh at him. Who's this that claims to forgive sins, right? And Jesus says, just so you can know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I tell you to take up your mat and walk. And he goes on to heal this man. And the guy gets up in front of this giant crowd and walks out. In the same way, we cannot... excuse me, loving others is evidence of our love for God just as healing this, this paralytic was a sign of Jesus' power to forgive sins. So our love for others is is proof, it's evidence of our love for God and that his love has impacted our lives. So how are you going to let that impact? How are you going to allow God's love to work in your lives? First of all, we need to love God. We need to put him first in our lives. We need to trust in him and receive by faith the grace that was poured out to us through his death and resurrection. Ask him to soften your heart so that you may receive the love that he has for you. But then we also need to allow that love to flow into our relationship with others. We, if God has forgiven you, you should forgive others. If God has blessed you, you should bless others. If God has provided for you, you should provide for others. The question may be, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to show love to? Just the people who look like me, act like me, talk like me? No. We're supposed to love everyone we come across. We're supposed to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also the stranger we meet on the street. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan to prove that point. The religious leaders of the day knew that they were supposed to love God and love their neighbor, but the question was, who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells the story about a man who who was beaten and left for dead along the road. And two of the religious leaders of the day just walked on by, did nothing. But a Samaritan stopped and helped gave up his money, gave up his time, gave up his energy to help this person in need. And Jesus says, who was a neighbor to this person? And he said, the one who has shown mercy. And so Jesus tells him to go and do likewise. I think that's our call today, to go and to do likewise, to show mercy to people who, who may not deserve it, just as we didn't deserve the mercy we received from God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that uh, you have shown us mercy. You have shown us love even when we didn't deserve it. And that love sets us free from, from fear, fear of punishment and fear of being separated from you because that your promises are sure and true that we will, if we put our trust in you, we can receive that grace that you offer to us through Christ. Help us to rely on that and help us to to live that out, not just in our relationship with you, but in the relationship we have with others. Help your love for us to overflow into love for others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing the first verse of our closing hymn, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love, number 284, the first verse. to show love uh, today uh, from 11 to 1.30. The choir uh, is putting on this, this fundraiser luncheon to, to show some Christ-like love to, to a member of our community. And so I pray, I encourage you to be a part of that, to stick around for that. And, and what a great, great example of, of Christ-like love happening just then. Uh, may the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all. Amen.